Welcome to God Damn It Month on As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one God Damn It song. And every October of 2018, we talk about one album. This week, it's San Francisco. I don't care that much. Welcome to the show. I'm David Anthony. That's Tim Crisp. Oh, all right, Mr. Host. You take know, it away. You know, I just feel like I want to get into this one because we've got a little house clearing to do, which we kind of did up top, which is that's, goddamn, it's the 20th anniversary this month. It's a big deal for us, I would say. Uh, and we've decided that in, we're foregoing our usual format. And every week for the month of October, we're going to be talking about a song from God Damn It. Now, we're going to do this a couple different ways. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can vote in two polls. This is the Patreon selected episode. They selected God Damn It, or selected San Francisco from the A side of God Damn It. We put the A side of God Damn It out there on a poll. Of course, we've already discussed cringe. So it went cop through enjoy your day. Now, the book ends there. Didn't really do so well in the poll. No. Which is to be expected. But yeah, yeah, not without their merits. We'll get to those at a later date. Um, this was really a neck and neck race between San Francisco and Nose Over Tail. But, uh, and as you were. Yeah. It was a fair. neck and neck, neck race. Yeah. A trio of necks, if you will. But we got San Francisco. So if you want to vote for B-side songs... Now, and I'm, uh, let's not get into the weeds about how clavicle is actually on the A side, but just give it's even. Just please, please give me this. Um, go over, join the Patreon. We uh, have some pretty cool, goddamn it, related bonus content this month in terms of episodes. Uh, if you are a ten dollars subscriber, we got mugs coming at you very soon. But. We, we wanted to do something special for God Damn It because it's a record that's important to both of us. and I mean, it's important to anybody who's here, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned on the Patreon thing that I do know there are fans that are maybe newer or maybe don't like this record in the way we do, but I think if you're listening to this podcast regularly, you're probably of the same general feeling that this record is amazing. And I've made it very clear at various points that for basically two thirds of my adult life, this has been my favorite record of all time. Uh, Objectivity is going to go out the window a little bit as we move through this. But uh, boy, a lot of good songs to choose from. Glad we're getting this one to start the month. Absolutely. And this is a track that, you know, I listened to. God damn it for the first time and I remember most of it but nothing quite like the first experience of listening to San Francisco mm-hmm. it just it was it was a moment that kind of it just cemented itself in so many different ways and it just for me marked 
a feeling of like this is a person and a band and a record that is going to mean something for me for the rest of my life. Yeah, I have very similar experience. We've talked about cringe, obviously, and that is just such an immediate rush. And by the time you get to this song, um, it feels so tonally different. Uh, it really starts off with just the a quietness that says, "Strap yourselves in, like mm-hmm. this is we're gonna going get, on a plane. This is gonna get fucking heavy. Oh, we are going on a plane. Uh, one of Matskiva's many songs." about planes now if we look at it is this the best song about flying that matt has ever written i'm gonna say yes uh there's a lot of contenders some of which are escaping me presently but you know it's san francisco man it's a song that was written on a napkin Mm -hmm. as matt is in the airport sfo Getting ready to fly back to Chicago. Pints are $4 at 4 o'clock. He gets on the plane. They're $5. Mm-hmm. I always love like looking back at this and thinking about the fact that it starts there and it doesn't divert. It doesn't like no. try and take on anything more. And there's a lot of... There's a lot of vinegar in the song and there's a lot of youthfulness and there's a lot of things that had he written this song a year or so later, he probably would have changed things a little bit. Yeah. Maybe the second, you know, set of verses, the third and the fourth verse might explain a little bit more. Sure. They might go away from just it being a song about flying away from some place to the place that you don't want to be flying to. Yeah. But this is a song about one thing and it's one thing that he really fucking feels. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an important thing about the early period and specifically goddamn it is so much of the songs are about one specific thing. They don't bite off more than they can chew. They are rarely, uh, going out in a weird narrative it's pretty much all this is what it's about from beginning to end and the fact that the songs don't really crumble under the weight of that is a testament to the fact that you feel it right yeah um we've discussed before in the very first episode of this podcast my friend peter that uh when i was the age i heard this record i was not drinking i was not partying i was you know a uh quote unquote straight edge kid until you know my early mid-20s even now barely touch touch the stuff uh but like something about it resonated to me so deeply it was just this like this feeling of longing and desperation and like not even really understanding you know what it was supposed to represent you know it was so just obtuse and kind of impressionistic while being very specific and i think that's the beauty of a lot of god damn it yeah and i remember i was a freshman in high school and i hadn't really uh started drinking or anything like that but you know i I think that alcohol in so many ways it is kind of just coupled with the the thing that you do when you're sad yeah and i was you know, going through, I, th- a thing that I think a lot of people, um, when they're 
14, 15 go through where you're just kind of, you're finding new ways to just understand like sadness yeah, and ways that you don't really like understand. And, um, you know, I remember being that age and, you know, being angry a lot and being, um, sensitive about things that you know didn't really make sense and and just kind of like I think for the first time really understanding the way emotions can really dictate Mm -hmm. how you are and how you interact with the world and you know the idea of like I was drinking you goodbye it went over my head just because it wasn't you know something that I'd ever really experienced in that way but it was this act of desperation and honesty in the expression that I really really quickly latched on to because you know I don't exactly get I was drinking you goodbye but I fucking get like I didn't I don't know what else to do with myself yeah I mean the the there's no telling what I'll do if I don't return to you is such like a clearer version of that too because it's you know uh, Matt has framed this in the original sin documentary which came with the goddamn Redux release uh, about the record as just being about him going to San Francisco visiting a friend and like not wanting to come back and not is so much of this record is about in my eyes about like it's kind of the drudgery of daily life and and searching for anything that gets you away from it. And I've definitely been in that uh, mode too. You know, I was in a long distance relationship for a long time, you know, and as maudlin as it is, even as an adult, like this song does a pretty good job of expressing what that feels like sometimes, you know, like you're like, fuck, like I have to return to a shitty job or, you know, I have to return to my obligations. I have to do fucking laundry and clean my apartment. And I just want to be hanging out with this person and doing this thing and, and living a life that feels like living, not just kind of like doing the shit you got to do to make rent, you know? And and I don't know if I connected to that as much as a kid, but that's what a lot of this record has taken on the resonance for me. And, and it has continued to be resonant in that it's, sure, it's angsty and sure, it's tied to being young. But I think it just does a good job of slotting into what it feels like to be a person. Yeah, I, I think something that I like really latched onto with this band was that I was born in New Jersey and I lived there until uh, I was in seventh grade. Until came, Bon Jovi kicked you out. Yes. Right. Bon Jovi kicked me out. But when I was first getting into punk, it was through a friend who was back there and he was plugging a lot of bands that were from central New Jersey. Sure. Saves the day. Midtown and I was feeling a little fucking raw about the fact that I moved to this place yeah and all the cool bands are happening there totally so trio was like oh man like there's this band they've got a record called from here to infirmary is the first thing I heard Mm -hmm. and they're from Chicago and that was cool enough but hearing this song it was like this band is mine and this is this is my Chicago band and like this is this is fucking where I'm from now. Totally. I'm not... I 
Yeah, I mean, I, I had that experience where I was not from Chicago, but I'm from Northwest Indiana, which many people just count in. Um, but yeah, they felt like... It was the first time I experienced something where a band felt like real people to me, you know? Yeah. It's the first time it ever felt attainable. It's the first time it ever felt like, holy shit, like I can go see this band. Holy shit, like this band is basically from where I'm from. Like they are it felt like something was shared in a way I hadn't felt with music before. And I think that's something that has always kind of indentured me to bands from here, but also bands that are from weirder places, not saying Chicago's weird or even minor, but like, you know, I like when this band feels like Chicago to me. I think that there's like, I, I think that there's a real source of identification with just a band who puts their hometown into what they're saying, like what they're talking about and how they're identifying. It's like the fact that you're dropping that pin, it's if you don't relate to the pin itself, like you relate to the fact that these are people who yeah. live and function within something larger, like a larger real world that exists around them it's not like it's not people that come from the fucking like you know rock and roll yes heavens. yes totally i mean that's part of it too and i think another thing is like it's not reverential in like a fucking dropkick murphy song kind of way absolutely it's not like you know it's not like the celebratory fucking song it's like that's where i'm from and i don't want to go back there yeah you know and i think that's what i love that fucking place i love that know? place but i also hate that place yeah you know and that is such a real thought and i feel like that is very very much what he's exploring on san francisco and in a lot of the early material is it's a love hate with where he's from because he loves what it represents he loves what it offers but he also feels reined in by it and i think that's a hard thing not to relate to you know um, maybe not if you're from like, you know, I, you know, not to like, I, I don't mean this in like an aggressive way, but like, I feel like at a place like New York, there's so many options, right? Right. And Chicago does have a lot of options, but it's also, it's, it's just different. And it's hard to sometimes express how those differences feel because there are periods where, yeah, there's a show every night and there's a cool thing to do every day. And then there can be months where there's fucking nothing. I mean, we're like approaching that time here where it's not going to happen soon, but it's going to happen in the next couple of months where it's yeah. going to be the first time where I'm going to be like, I'm not going to do that thing because it's too cold out. Well, yeah, it's like I'm, you know, I ride my bike most everywhere and I have for years and I like rode my bike through the polar vortex and like these like negative 20, 30 degree winds and like several feet of snow and just like it beats you down and it really wears on you in a way where it's like w the winter's here and like right now we're in the weird like tropical storm weather where it rains really hard for 45 minutes and then stops and then gets really windy for no reason like, i was at work the other day and the cafe has entrances on milwaukee and diversity yeah it was raining on the milwaukee side and it wasn't raining on yeah. the diversity side exactly like uh, it, it's just it's one of those things where it's like I love Chicago so much but there's so many days where I'm like fuck this place and yeah, this song such a makes fucking, me feel it I know and I love I've 
always loved from Sour Home Chicago because mm-hmm. it's dumb. It's so dumb, but he's the only person to have ever done it, and it kind of makes it great. It there's so many like endearing aspects to this, and it's something that like as I've you know grown older and and gained more of an understanding of like what it is that I really like about art the fact that this is just so from the guts it's yeah. so imperfect yeah that's really what sticks to me is just that like there's nothing that's guiding this other than pure desperation and you're not stopping to second guess how it's coming out totally um and i think you know obviously we've hit that a lot in the lyrics but i think there's a lot of that in the music too dude this is the moment where Matt became my favorite songwriter. Mm-hmm. He became my favorite guitar player, mm-hmm. and Dan became my favorite bass player. I was taking bass yeah. lessons at this time, and I went into my Saturday bass lesson that week, and I put this song on, and I was like, "Just teach me it, and teach me how he goes from here." To hear because Dan is doing so much work. Yes. Especially during the verses. It's pretty wild. It's unbelievable because Matt's f- strumming pattern, he's just doing a T shape and yeah. it's just bump, bana, bump, bana. And Dan is just so active. And I love that spot that he gets to at the end of like every run where it's just do. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, this was a similar thing for me where it was like definitely something where I was hearing a band write songs that were as important to me as anything had been in music up to that point. But like, I felt like I could play it, you know, this felt achievable to me in a way that, you know, green day being an entry, a gateway band for me and blink Rain to further opening that door. This was the first time it's like, Oh, I can play that. Yeah. Like I don't have to, play super fast i don't have to do all these things like you can be very expressive without doing a ton and and that's what i feel like he's doing because it's in the songwriting and And it's in the composition there's just so much in those initial octaves like i remember being at you know my my first band's like band practice and the guitar player in that in uh in the band was my friend Carl and he showed me how to do octaves mm-hmm. and it was just a power chord not using your fucking middle finger. I yeah, no, like uh learning octaves like changed me. I was like, holy shit, this sounds so cool. And like I never really use it, but it's like cause it, it to me it's just like that's Matt Skiba's. There, like, I, I can't right. like think of it any other way. And it's funny because it's not, he's obviously not the first person to do it. You know, he, I don't, he says, they say in the original Sin documentary that like Jawbreaker was so huge for them. Mm-hmm. Blake plays a lot of octaves, but nothing jumps the way Skiba's does because his guitar tone it's so weird it's so and it's strange such a fucking happy accident i uh-huh. think that octaves pierce the way that they do yeah i don't know what they were doing to make that work but like his octaves really cut through everything yeah and i think it became such a thing that like i would argue on 
certain records, maybe even like Infirmary, he leans into it a little too much, one would argue, because it's like, I think he's discovering that's how he can make his band stand out from other ones. But the subtlety with which he wields them here is kind of wild. I think that like the reason Infirmary feels different from here is just because Infirmary figures out how to just brighten all of that and the power in just the you know opening guitar line like when the band fully kicks in and when those octaves kick for the first time it's because they come out of all of that dirt yeah yeah it does feel it's a little more earned in a certain sense and like this is true of most music I love, but in terms of production and, and kind of everything on every, not every record, but on most records that have meant a lot to me for a long time, there's a lot of dirt on them. Yeah. You know, they aren't these like crystal clean productions. And I think that's kind of what makes this record special to me is everything overcomes limitations. I think that's what this song is about. I think that's what this record is about. And I think that's what they achieve musically is that, these limitations are not hindrances they are assets and when when an artist is able to look at those things and look at these tools and look at not having a budget and not having a lot of time and not having the right gear and say fuck it and make something that endures like that is really noteworthy and maybe you don't see it in the moment but like this did not sound like a lot of other punk records in 98 definitely not there's nobody that has this guitar tone and you know we'll probably talk a lot about it yeah nine days nine hundred dollars is what this record cost and you know they're living in a house together they're living in a three flat and they occupy all three of the floors Mm -hmm. they practice on the first floor in a in a room that doubles as a dark room yep and i think that that's what's really magical about this band at this time is that they're just all three of them are working crappy jobs and Mm -hmm. they're having practice every night yeah they're drinking together yeah and it's like them and rob doran who was in the band was living with them heather who was dating Glenn and was doing a lot of their art was living with them. Like it was a, basically a building where it's just all of them were making something, you know, and all of them were just being creative and hanging out and like having parties and fucking around, but also like just not really overthinking anything. It, it's that kind of blissful moment that really doesn't come around that often. And it's those type of things that like, I think it's very easy to not appreciate until it's well past when it was. Because there's just so much that's going on during it. And it's it feels like it's just Yeah, this is this is what this is what we're doing. I'm not going to art school anymore. I'm just playing in this band and I'm fucking uh delivering stuff on my bike yeah. every morning. I mean uh nine oh nine North Hermitage is up for rent right now if you want to move in. Uh Similarly, I've known people who uh, I've known someone who's lived there and apparently the landlord is very aware that (laughs) Alkaline Trio was there and like uses that as a selling point. That's so funny. He's like, this is where they lit a uh, kick drum on fire and you can see the skid mark across the floor. Um, 
so yeah there's a it's funny to walk down that block because i live right by there and have for like a decade and walk by it now because when i first moved in all all the houses kind of look like that one and now everything's like a nice condo and then there's that one it's the only one that's left and i i will be a little sad if that goes away at some point i just remember you know coming away from listening to this record for the first time and this was the song that that really jumped and by the time this record was over you know i was mad that i was on my way to school when i listened to it Mm -hmm. i was mad that i basically ignored my friends when i got to school so i could finish the record Mm -hmm. and i was mad that i couldn't listen to it again but this was the song that got me through that day and it was the song that made me think to myself like this is this is going to be my favorite band oh yeah my favorite band in in a new way like you know you have your favorite bands when you're when you're 10 or 11 but when you're 14 that's when it means something and it's when it means something for the first time and it's an expression of yourself and and who you are and how you present yeah and this this is just a song that just reached out and yeah and and i knew that i i knew that i felt it and i also knew that i was like going to understand to what extent that I'm going to feel it. Yeah. You know, it's like I've always I've kind of always looked at at Matt's writing as as, you know, the, the cool older cousin type. Sure. And this was a this was a a moment of like yeah, I feel like fucking shit and you're going to feel like shit, but yeah. like I'm I got you. I got yeah. you the rest of the way. Yeah. And I, I do think that's so much of the appeal of this record to me is that like there's a real ownership of the pain and it's not it's glamorized but not to a degree of like what emo would become four years after this record, you know? Uh and I think that's always been the appeal to me is it feels real in a way that a lot of emo of a certain type feels fictional. This doesn't feel like I need to write a sad song about a breakup. Like he just wrote the song cause he had to write the song. You know, that's the appeal of a jawbreaker. That's the appeal of an early alkaline trio song to me. And it's why so much of that stuff meant so much to me. And still now years and years later, it still does. You know, it's the type of thing that implants itself in your fucking bone marrow and you can't really get rid of it no matter how much you try. And I'm very glad that this is a song that I always have and that this is a song that I think in a weird way, despite I think being a fan favorite, feels a bit like a deep cut. They don't play it much. I don't think it gets talked about in the same ways of like a radio or even a 97. But like to me, this is a set closer song. To me, this is like the go home song. When we talked about Until Death Do Us Part and like that like false profundity and like that fake go home moment, this has it and this earns it and like the stumbles of the ending and just everything about it is so weird and so climactic and so earned. 
And like when you can hear a song where it's like, like in a, to, to jump around for a second, like to, when you listen to hardcore and the breakdown comes and you're like, well, you didn't really get it there. Right. You know, like you need mm-hmm. more setup. You can't just fucking, unless you're Firestorm, you can't just go there. This is a song that is perfectly timed for where it needs to be, you know, and that's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard for me to disconnect this song from the record as a whole, but when I look at it in isolation, there's just like, there's not a single thing I would change about it. Matt's vocal delivery by the end is one of my favorites he's ever laid down. And it's, it's, it's just so good to me. Yeah. And I think like, you know, speaking on the vocals and speaking on the imperfections, there's a couple moments in this recording where he peaks. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to happen. It distorts because it's too loud. Yes. And one of my absolute favorite moments in recorded music so is good. Hellbound Airlines Time and Price because you know Allison's sitting there just being like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, just like, oh fuck, I didn't realize he was going up there on that one. That's supposed to happen. But, but yeah. Um, it, it fucking closes so perfectly that that last, that last chorus and those hits at the end just holding it, oh. holding it. They did that shit so much on those early songs, like those kind of like ring outs and like stop and then into a ring out is yeah. like all over. God damn it. But that's how these songs need to end. Absolutely. It could be so cheesy, but for whatever reason, it's just so perfect. Well, I give it a two out of five. Generous. I would say, um, I give it, you know, five, five dollar pints out of five. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to go with that one. I think that's the right one. Hellbound Airlines, time and price. Um, Hey, we are so thankful that y'all are out here listening to it and telling people about it. Subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, email is as you were podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up. Come on. Let us know. Give us your goddamn it stories. Give us your goddamn it theories. Yes, that would be cool. I would love I would love some theories. Patreon.com slash as you were. We're doing cool shit on there this month. We're always doing cool shit, but we've got some freaking, uh, we've got some guided cool shit. It's goddamn it month, baby. Get ready. We've got another poll coming, and we've got bonus content coming, all of that stuff. Uh, my name is Tim. His name is David. Correct. This is As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. You didn't say that at the top. You took the lead on it, but you need to knock that one in there a few times. Let them know that they're listening to As You Were a Podcast about Alkaline Trio. I want them to think they're listening to Planet Money, personally. We'll be back next week to talk about David's pick from the first half of God Damn It. We will see you then. Thanks, Bubbas. Thanks, Bubbas.